once again, what an incredibly snowy winter we're having. <laughs> this is getting a little bit crazy, isn't it? It's very enjoyable, but um, I don't know if you've noticed these piles outside our windows. They're pretty impressive around the chapel. If you're watching online and haven't been here for a while, um, there are some massive mounds of snow around here. And as this warmer weather comes and we start to see it melting a little bit, it's kind of interesting to see how it makes its way around the grounds. There was a spot over here in our back parking lot, in fact, where as the weather warmed up and the snow started melting from the parking lot, it was like a river running down toward uh, the creek over here, except that uh, in the way was a, a set of stairs that led down to Anderson Ranch. So it looked like this giant waterfall going down the steps. And it's just amazing to think about the streams and the creeks filling up with all this wonderful snow. Um, but it's an indisputable law of physics, isn't it, that this, the water, no matter where it comes from, is going to always flow to the lowest point. That's what it was doing in our back lot as it was trying to work its way over. It just found the easiest route to get to the lowest possible spot. Even when the water doesn't flow to a creek or a riverbed or a stream, it eventually seeps in to all the cracks and the crevices and, and the, it becomes groundwater for us. And believe it or not, that groundwater is extremely important to people. I actually learned this week that 50% of people in the United States use groundwater for their drinking water. So it either comes from a well or a spring or, or we've redirected it somehow to, to be able to be used as drinking water. And then it's also, of course, used for crop irrigation and agriculture. So it's a critical way of life, this groundwater for us. It's critical to our way of life. But one of the main concerns with groundwater, of course, is that it's all beneath the surface. It's hidden. We don't really know what's going on down there. And we're usually blissfully unaware of what might be contaminating it. Groundwater can be polluted by landfills and septic tanks and overuse of fertilizers and pesticides and worse. So much so that what we don't see because it's hidden from our view can sometimes be massively contaminated. Well, my hunch is that if you were to ask the woman at the well about where she was in her life at the time that she encountered Jesus, she might have said she was at a very low point. She might have even been contaminated in some ways with things deep inside her. Now, before I go any further, though, I want to say that I'm not one who buys into the whole sinful woman at the well narrative. If you're at all familiar with this reading in John's Gospel, you may have heard some people claim that Jesus was chastising her for having five husbands or for living with a man who wasn't her husband. I've even heard some preachers call her a harlot which is decidedly not part of this text. And it says a whole lot more about the person interpreting the text, doesn't it? You see, we don't know what secrets lay hidden within that woman at the well. Did she marry young and her husband died? And then she was passed along from relative to relative to care for her, as was the custom? 
maybe? Did her husband divorce her because he didn't like the way she cooked? Didn't like the shape of her nose? Didn't think she was very attractive? This was also things that were not uncommon. Did she poison her husbands one after the other? Maybe. Maybe she was just the Elizabeth Taylor of the ancient world, marrying again and again and again. We don't know. We don't know because the text doesn't tell us why she had so many husbands. Nor is there even a hint of judgment from Jesus. So we don't know the secrets of her heart any more than I know yours or you know mine. So I don't buy some of those old, harsh narratives made up about the woman at the well. But what I do buy is that we are all hiding something some of the time. And when these things are not brought to light, when they're not examined, they can become infected, ugly, contaminated. I spoke to a woman recently who had been harboring resentment and anger toward her ex-husband for over 15 years. And she told me that she finally felt freed from that. She said she felt more herself than she had in years, finally. She told me she'd been so locked up in anger that nothing else could flow inside of her, and she likened it to water. She said to me, it's almost like, you know, water can flow through and find a way to get in, but she said, I was so angry that I hadn't been allowing it to even flow. So I asked her, how did it come to pass that she finally, after 15 years, was able to let go of that? And she said, you know, I've always been a churchgoer, I've always believed in God, but I finally just had a breakthrough. That was all she attributed to, just a breakthrough. She said it was finally, it dawned on her that this was not the life that God had in mind for her. So there are definitely things I know that we want to have remain hidden within us. We don't even want God to know what a mess we are, let alone our friends and coworkers. So we keep it locked up. Rage, resentment, infidelities, jealousy, greed, malice or ill will towards someone else. Our groundwater isn't always pure. In fact, sometimes it looks pretty gross. I think that what the woman at the well and the woman that I spoke to earlier both had in common that they let Jesus provide them with the living water that he said would gush up for all of eternity. Think about that. That is such an image that the water would not just flow but gush forth within us forever. That kind of water gushing might even be surprising at first. It might be a little uncomfortable, like drinking water through a fire hose. But here's a really cool thing. The groundwater that exists all over the planet, that groundwater, no matter how ugly, no matter how contaminated, it has the ability to replenish itself, to recharge itself. It happens through heavy rainfall, deep snowfall that kind of seeps into the ground over time as it begins to melt. All of these things can sort of flush out 
the impurities of the groundwater and help the water itself heal. So if the ground has the ability to cleanse its waters, you better believe we do too. So here's what I want us to know this morning. There are things within each one of us that we're trying to work out. Some are temporary concerns and fairly manageable. Some are absolutely huge and seemingly insurmountable. Those things can make us drift away from people rather than allow ourselves to be fully seen. Maybe even take our bucket and go to the well in the heat of the day just so we can avoid seeing people being judged or feeling different from everybody else. But no matter how low you feel you've gone, Jesus will always seek you at your lowest point. The living water he talks about will always flow to the lowest natural point. John's gospel tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. Not geographically, at least. John could have, or Jesus could have easily avoided going through Samaria, which frankly is what most Jews would have done, because Jews and Samaritans didn't really like each other. There was a lot of malice between the two groups. But the Messiah, as we all know, comes to everyone, including those who are marginalized and despised by the majority rule. So Jesus goes through Samaria, and he seems to walk directly to this particular woman alone at the well. And she is shocked, to say the least. Why are you here, a Jew, talking to a Samaritan and a woman at that? This is just not customary. It's just not done. So she's intrigued by Jesus' efforts, though, at conversation, which, by the way, turns out to be the longest conversation in the entire scripture of the New Testament between Jesus and any other person. So she's intrigued, and the conversation ensues, and he offers her this living water, and she kind of scoffs and says, sure, give me this living water so I don't have to keep coming back to this well. Maybe she didn't quite understand what he meant, or maybe, maybe she was deflecting so that she could stay comfortable in her own pain and hurt that she had become accustomed to. But then Jesus does something that seems so bizarre at first. Right after she says, give me this living water so I don't have to come to this well anymore, he says, go and get your husband. Seems like such a non sequitur. Why would he say that in that particular moment? Well, I think he's going to her lowest He is going right there. It is not enough for us to simply encounter Jesus and then just go on with life. Jesus wanted her to dig deeper. What is the source of your deepest pain, he seems to be asking. Where are you most ashamed, afraid, hurt, deceived? Where do you feel most raw? And what have you been covering it up with? Money, drugs, addictions, relationships, 
trying to look like you have it all together. These are the places he wants you to go so that his grace can get all the way in. Go and get your husband. And she answers, I don't have one. He says, okay, true enough. And there's more. There's more to your story. Keep going. Dig a little deeper, he says. You've had five husbands. Again, not a hint of judgment. Truth. He wants to get to the truth of our pain. What is it you are really experiencing? Let's go there. And let's heal that. There's no reference here to immorality, despite how some people have interpreted it. Jesus doesn't want to know how she got in this predicament. He wants to acknowledge her pain and lift her out of it. But first, she has to be willing to go there. She has to stop putting up walls, stop deflecting attention, hiding in plain sight. That's the price of this living water. The living water is free, for sure. It's free for all of us. But it requires something of us. It requires a willingness for self-examination. It surely requires vulnerability and an openness. It requires us to get honest about what hurts and why. Living water is free, but we have to be willing to receive it. And that's going to cost us. And what's more, it's a lifelong pursuit. This is tough stuff. The water's free, but accepting it, receiving it, may be the hardest thing we do. Socrates famously said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And I think Jesus is driving the point home here. You want to keep living in despair, fear, resentment, grief? You prefer to keep things hidden away and remain stuck? Or are you willing to refresh yourself with living water so that you never thirst again? As the conversation between Jesus and the unnamed woman continues, there comes a point where she kind of halts again. Like, maybe we've gone far enough here now, Jesus. And she says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, and he will explain everything to us. I love that. It's so hopeful. Everything's going to be explained. And I can just hear her thinking to herself, okay, maybe I've overshared here. I don't want to look at myself anymore. This is hard. You know things about me that I don't appreciate. This is tough stuff. I'm shutting down. And it's at that very moment that Jesus reveals his true identity to her. That Messiah you're talking about? I am. I am the Messiah you expect. You remember in Exodus chapter 3 when uh, Moses says to God, who shall I tell the people has sent me? They're going to want a name, Moses says. What shall I tell them? And God says, them, says to him, tell them I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. Jesus, now here with the woman at the well, is making it crystal clear that he is not only the Messiah, but that it is through him, through Jesus, that God is made known. I am. 
and it's a game changer. She leaves there and she goes back to her city telling everyone about the Messiah, the one who knew everything about her. See, that's the power of the living water. It flows to your absolute lowest point. It filters out all the contaminated, polluted parts. It refreshes and restores. It changes us from the inside out. And when we receive that living water, it doesn't just flow within us. It flows out to everybody else that we come in contact with. You become the witness to what I am is capable of. So one final note on this amazing passage today. It's just so rich with so many different things. When the woman returns to the city to tell her story, we're told that she leaves her water jar behind. It's a small detail. You might have missed it in the reading even. It's so, so brief. But I can't help but think that this is a metaphor for leaving behind all that had troubled her for so long. She no longer needed that jar. The Messiah had revealed himself to her, which was sufficient for her healing. Now, getting there is the hard part, as I said. Receiving God's grace requires us to dig deep, and that's not easy work. That's where we meet the living Christ, though, is in that work. Some say that's the Holy Spirit within that's flowing through us. There's a lightness and a freedom that comes in receiving that. A new way forward that maybe we hadn't even imagined yet. I don't know how it is that our, our deepest wounds, our worst sins, our most traumatic hurts and brokenness, can become our greatest strengths, but I know it's true. We spend so much time trying to cover up and pretend and rack up accolades and admiration, striving and striving, often in an attempt to cover up those wounds that we carry around, some small and some massive. Make no mistake, though, God will go to the depths of your hurts right where you are, in order to heal you. Where there was bitterness and self-doubt and judgment, God reveals compassion and strength and love. So my prayer for us this morning in the middle of this Lenten season is that we be willing to examine what's holding us back, to be vulnerable and open to the transforming power of God's love, and to leave behind our jars filled with stuff that we thought we needed in order to let God's love just flow, just let it gush, and let us pray.